Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. Today, I'm excited to have with me Randon Jensen from CTC uh, and Associates. Randon, go ahead and say hello. Hi, Patrick. Great to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Randon, I understand that you're an expert in dental transitions, acquisition, helping practices find or helping dentists find practices, uh, helping uh, practice owners who are ready to transition out or into a retirement, uh, find dentists to work with. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your background. Um, where do you office out of? Um, what areas do you serve? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're fortunate to work with a lot of great dentists, dental specialists. Um, we work uh, exclusively with dentists and all we do are practice transitions. So uh, appraisals, associateships, mergers, partnerships, and then of course, outright sales. Um, we've got a business partner, Marie Chatterley is in Denver. Uh, another business partner, Crystal Smith down in uh, Phoenix, and then uh, some administrative staff as well. I'm in uh, Salt Lake City. And so we cover Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, you know, kind of these surrounding states. Um, been at this uh, 20, well, 21 years now. Um, Larry started originally back in 88. Uh, I think at last count, we've facilitated just over 1,800 practice transition. So worked with a lot of great dentists over the years. Wow. That's, that's terrific. So, um, one of the things that I know, uh, we want to have you talk about today, I'm going to ask you to talk about is financing. So, uh, financing a practice, whether it's a startup or whether it's a transition, you're buying into a practice. Um, I know that there's some new challenges today based on COVID. Um, what challenges are you seeing dentists have out there today? Well, yeah, right now it's kind of unique because uh, uh, because of COVID, um, there were some big players. So I should first of all, I should point out there are lenders that specialize in practice acquisition financing. That's a question I get a lot of time: is where do I go? Where do I go to get the money? And what we found historically is local banks and credit unions, as a general rule, are, are have not been a good resource. Usually, a, a dentist will come in uh, pitching. A, a, or making an application for financing to acquire a practice and the bank will take a look or the credit union will take a look and say, Hey, this on the surface looks great because of the numbers. They start looking at collateral and determining, well, man, the, the practice only the, the equipment represents maybe only 20, 30% of the overall value of the practice. And that's our collateral. Um, so we're really not comfortable doing this unless we go through a small business administration loan and SBA loan. Um, there's a there's a place for SBA lending, but as a general rule, I um, there's so many other better conventional financing options available that I that I tell Dennis, there's no reason you need to go SBA. So there was a lenders, and that hasn't always been that way. It was probably the late '90s that some of these lenders uh, came onto the scene and um, and discovered that dentists were really pretty good risks. Um, in fact, um, historically, I haven't looked at numbers recently. I don't know how COVID has affected this, but um, uh, but for, for years and years and years, the default rate on practice acquisition loans has been less than one half of 1%. So even though very little collateral in these loans are essentially unsecured loans, these lenders have determined that it's a pretty good risk to make these loans to dentists. So, um, so we've been fortunate to have those dentists in this marketplace. Now, recently, some of those, the big players, the big uh, dental finance practice acquisition and startup finance lenders have stepped back because of COVID with the closure, they just weren't sure. 
how that was going to affect dentistry, both short term and long term. Sure. So, yeah. yeah so that, sorry, just real quickly. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, since uh, backing out or slowing down, right? And I, I know that was the case. I, I heard it and saw it firsthand. Have you seen them uh, start and ramp back up? Yeah. So it's interesting that a lot of them took a step back. Uh, and even during that period of time with them taking a step back and maybe not um, processing new applications or being very selective about the applicants that they would bring on during that period of time, we found that there were other lenders who've been waiting in the wings, really wanting to enter this space uh, and, and gain market share that that used this as an opportunity to step up and step step in and step up. And uh, so even during the period of time of closure and whatnot, we were still able to get loans approved um, through lenders and, and financing was taking place. So I'm telling doctors now, don't, don't worry about a lot. of. I think the prevailing um, uh, rumor is that financing is not available right now, and that's just not the case. And these lenders that took a step back are now stepping back in and, and in, a, in a strong way. Some are offering some pretty strong incentives, some fantastic rates, rates that we've never seen before. Uh, really to say, hey, we're back and we we have faith in dentistry and where it's heading and, and we're ready to start lending again. Yeah. So uh, with rates being much lower right now uh, in practice financing than they were some time ago, I have to I have to think that uh, it probably is a really good time for a young dentist to look into buying a practice if they haven't before. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's a handful of things. But yes, definitely right now. Um, buying a practice, you have a lot, a lot greater buying power, if you will, when your interest rates low, or you can, you can buy more, you get more for your money. Essentially. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Stands to reason. A few things that, that, um, and, and I'm probably anticipating a question before you ask it, Patrick, sorry, but, uh, some of the things that lenders are looking for that these new, um, dentists are looking to get into career, uh, into practice ownership, um, some of the things that the lenders are looking for that may be helpful for them to know. Uh, and every lender is a little bit different. So this is just generalized across the board. Um, but four or five things that they're looking for. One, they're looking for a credit rating, right? They want to see that the, that the prospective practice owner, that the dentist pays their bills. So FICO score is 700 or above. Generally, we're fine. Anything lower than that, that's a little bit more challenging. Uh, second, they want to see some experience. Uh, used to be we could lend to um, new graduates right out of the chute, but uh, those days are are gone. There are a couple lenders that will lend, but they limit the amount they'll lend to new graduates. So usually they want to see the magic number is about two years. But really what they're looking for is the doctor's ability to produce at a level commensurate with the size of the practice they're looking to buy. So I may, I may have a dentist who's been out 15 years, but if he's ever produced more than X dollars, and he's looking to buy a practice that's three times that size, may still have a trouble getting financing. Lender may not, it may question the, the doctor's ability to, to handle the practice they're looking to buy. Uh, third thing they're looking for is uh, a little bit of liquidity. Um, I get the question, does that mean I need to bring cash to the table or that I need to have a lot uh, a down payment? No, they just want to see that you have a little bit of money um, a rainy day fund, for lack of a better term, in case things get a little tight that they that you can pull on. Every lender is a little bit different, but as a general rule, about 10% of the loan amount they want to see in some type of cash reserve or liquidity of some type. 
And that has, ironically, there've been some dentists that, that have qualified in every other way and been very strong on paper. Um, but for whatever reason, they've started paying down student loans you know, they started making money in an associate position, um, and use that excess money to start paying down student loans rather than setting a little aside for, for, um, uh, you know, rainy day fund or for savings. And that actually hurt them because the lenders are expecting them to have student loans and the, the size of the student loan isn't as much of an issue for the lender as it is the monthly payment on it. So, um, that's usually a tidbit I like to tell docs, Hey, if you're getting a little extra cash that you're making, don't necessarily start paying down your student loans. Not that that's a bad thing, but if you're hoping to buy a practice, set it aside. So you have a little cash reserve. Sure. And then the last thing they're looking at is the the practice itself. They're looking at the cash flow of the practice. So, um, that's where, you know, some lenders say, well, we can pre-qualify you, but even then they will admit the pre-qualification doesn't really mean a lot of things. It just means we've run your credit and we know that you're credit worthy. But any approval will have to be um, contingent on the actual practice being purchased. And in that sense, what they're looking for is uh, this is kind of an oversimplification of the process they use. But they'll take the practice, they'll factor in you know, true operating overhead, adjust for any discretionary um, or investment-related expenses. And uh, then they'll take that and from that, they'll subtract the borrower's personal financial needs. So the borrower will fill out a personal financial need assessment to determine how much they need to live off of each month, including their, their car, car loan, their home mortgage, their student loans, et cetera. If the practice nets enough to cover that plus what they call a liquidity ratio, then whatever's left over, they do a kind of a reverse amortization. And if that'll cover the debt service for the practice acquisition, then we've got an approval. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, let me ask you, Randon, what's, what is something, what are some steps or what should a uh, if you're looking to work with a bank, um, if you're looking to uh, buy a practice or, or do a startup, how do you go about vetting a, a bank? What's the best thing to look for? What questions do you need to ask? I think everyone asks about interest rate, but there's a lot more to the cost of money than the actual interest rate. Right? There's a lot of other things that are important. So kind of what's the checklist that you think people should have uh, before they start talking to bankers or when they talk to bankers? Wow. Excellent. Uh, excellent question. Yeah. Because so many times they just get caught up on the, on the interest rate, not realizing that there's so many other factors that can influence it. Uh, you know, I, I, some, some lenders will have brick and mortar in the area and some will want, some will require uh, some type of a banking relationship after the fact buyer has to decide whether or not they want to have that requirement or some may want that. They may want to have a bank that's close by that, that, you know, they can walk into a branch if they have questions about servicing their loan or whatnot. Um, some are, that's not as important and having technology and other things. I think as a general rule, having somebody who's um, responsive is important, but as far as the loan terms, um, looking just beyond the interest rate, some of the areas that uh, I see overlooked uh, origination fees, um, most lenders have very, very little um, they, by way of uh, origination fees. They're, they're very minimal, um, but that can make a huge difference in the um, uh, the effective rate, right? If there's a big fee up front. And that's one of the downsides with SBA lending, for example. It's very, very costly in terms of fees and upfront costs. Um, variable rate, excuse me, variable rates versus fixed rates. Most specialty lenders are fixed, but that's another thing to look at. Um, prepayment, prepayment penalties. That's a question uh, that will come up periodically. Some doctors want the ability to make, you know, to pay down the loan uh, sooner. Um, so having most lenders will allow principal reduction payments up to a certain percentage of the loan. 
So they're allowed to do that, but they may have penalties for an outright payoff within the first, you know, two, three, five years of the loan. Uh, so those are all things to consider. Now, here's another uh, area that I've seen uh, borrowers get in trouble with. Uh, a lot of times lenders will come and say, well, we'll give you this uh, uh, six months in, uh, no payments uh, or 12 months no payments or three months, whatever it may be. And what they don't realize is that, de- that they're really not deferring those payments. Those payments are still accruing or the loan's still accruing interest during that period of time. Sure. And then the interest gets added to the principal. So it's, it's negatively amortized and and they don't realize that. They don't understand that. And so I usually tell the borrowers, well, if, if you want a graduated payment, see if you can do at least do an interest only payment so that you're not paying interest on interest. Um, and so I have seen some that have, that have, well, that looks really great. I get 12 months, no payments, but ends up costing a lot, a lot more in the long run. Um, same true with, uh, like 15 year amortizations versus 10 year. The practice should be able to cash flow the debt at a, on a 10 year am. If it's not, then, you know, there may be something else amiss there, but, um, a lot of times they'll go, well, I want to go with the 15-year AM because they get a lower monthly payment, but not realizing they will pay a lot more in interest. So there may be benefits to, you know, to doing the numbers. Or if they feel like they'll be, they want to go on a 15-year AM, but they're going to be uh, disciplined enough to make additional principal reduction payments to pay it off in 10, then they can save themselves that interest. So <clears throat> I want you to reiterate one thing that you said at the beginning of this. I just think <clears throat> beginning to the end kind of sandwiched it in there. You said rates are at all time lows, correct? Right now for, for dental financing. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. When I started the very first loan, I got approved for a bar, a bar where I, I remember sitting in the, uh, in the car talking with the lender outside of the office. And, um, uh, this was in 1999 and the rate was, uh, 14%. Wow. And I remember saying to the lender, wow, that's crazy. And he's like, Hey, that's the going rate. That's what it is. Uh, so right now, most rates, and of course, at the time of this, of this recording, um, most rates that I've been seeing fixed interest rates for practice acquisition lending are in the, uh, in the mid fours. Um, wow. but there are some promotional rates that are even lower than that in the upper twos and, and low threes. So, wow, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's a significant discount on the cost of a practice. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to step on your toes at all, but the cost of the practice is one thing, right? The cost of the startup is one thing, but then the cost of the money is something else. And if the, the cost of the money is lower, I mean, it's just, you, know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You just have to think about it for a second to realize, wow, the overall cost is lower than it has been in years past. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So we're really fortunate because these lenders haven't always been around, but uh, we're very grateful that they are. It's, I think it's a great service for the dental community. And of, of course it's great for, for the work that I do to have these lenders available and, and to make these transactions possible. Yeah. Well, I'll, let me tell you, Randon, we're grateful to have you here. Uh, for our listeners, um, you can reach uh, Randon Jensen at CTC and Associates at their website, which is ctc-associates.com. Uh, reach out to him. He's a great resource uh, in the industry. Uh, we're very thankful to have you here, Randon. Thank you, Patrick. Such a pleasure to be on. Great. Let's have you back sometime soon. Sounds great. Take care. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.